Hello and welcome to episode four of The Hammer Factor. My name is John Grace. I'm the Hammer Factor producer. And with no further delay, let's introduce John Weld, co-host, owner of Immersion Research and Whitewater Legend. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Thank you. And also, Lewis Geltman, professional poker player, North Fork champion, and policy counsel for the Outdoor Alliance. Welcome back to the show, Lewis. Thank you, John. Someday I'll get that, that poker player item off the bio. But <laughs> next time we Unlikely. do next time we do this on video, you need to be like shuffling cards in the background. <laughs> <laughs> like rolling like a poker chip across your hands or something. Um well, we made it to episode four. That's a pretty big milestone. We have uh, my, car- my career is still intact too, and it's getting dicey. Yeah, it has been a little dicey on the, the behind rocky the, road. <laughs> the behind the scenes have been kind of dicey. Yes, um, yes, we're running out of uncontroversial things to say. We're gonna have to move on to offending people pretty soon. <laughs> I think we've already crossed into that territory. <laughs> yes, yeah, As, yeah, we have definitely crossed into that territory, but. Moving on, episode four, big deal. We, uh, we're starting to get some uh, viewer comments, which is pretty exciting. We've been looking for that. We'll get into those later in the show. Um, but to keep things rolling, Lewis, start us off with uh, what's, going on, what's going on in your world. Yeah, so I thought maybe we'd uh, talk for a couple of minutes about uh, forest planning, which is super exciting. Everybody can, uh, can eat their vegetables and talk about public lands policy for a minute before we move on to dessert of talking trash about the green race and <laughs> professional kayaking and whatnot. Um, so uh, one of the things we do at Outdoor Alliance is we work on force planning, which is basically every unit in the national forest system has a forest plan, which they have to revise allegedly every 10 to 15 years. In reality, it's more like every 20 or 25 years. So, Every national forest has what's almost, it's like a management plan, but also kind of like a zoning map that sets up things like where there's going to be logging, where there are places that are kind of more prioritized for conservation or for recreation values. And in 2012, the Forest Service changed the, uh, their regulation for how they create these forest plans. And it's become something that has a lot more public participation opportunities than, than the old forest planning process. Like under the old rule, uh, the Forest Service would basically develop a plan for a national forest and then put it out for public comment and then kind of accept comments or reject comments and put out the final plan and that would be it. And under this new rule, there's this whole... Uh, uh, assessment phase at the beginning of planning where they have to kind of collect public information and share kind of how they're thinking about the forest plan and this like super iterative process with, with the public basically. And so it creates all these new opportunities for public participation. And so we work really hard to make sure that basically, I mean, as a first step, just make sure that the forest service knows the places that people are going on the national forest, why we're going there, what matters about these places. So making sure they're doing things like looking at, for example, like the AW uh, 
database, like where you go to check your river gauges, like we want to make sure that the Forest Service is like looking at that and saying, okay, here are a huge list of really important whitewater runs in this national forest. So we want to make sure that we're, you know, cognizant of that, you know, those values when we're setting up a plan for how we're going to manage the national forest, making sure that we're not, you know, clear cutting in places that are really important for recreation or looking at the places where they're mountain biking trails and just having that, that opportunity to get that information into the forest planning process is a big change and in addition to kind of setting up protections that can last for 15 or 20 years it's also kind of the headwaters for wilderness designations and wild and scenic river designations so the forest service has to look for streams that are eligible for designation as wild and scenic rivers and so aw can has this opportunity to like share that information with the forest service make sure that they are taking account of these recreation values and if they find that these are eligible wild and scenic rivers it creates all these like interim protections until congress could designate a new wild and scenic river so for example we're doing this out in uh california right now in on the inyo sierra and sequoia national forests and the forest service has actually done a pretty poor job out there with the wild and scenic rivers inventory and AW is like really holding these guys feet to the fire and it's going to make a huge difference. Like this is a little bit in the weeds, but, uh, the trigger for eligibility under the wild and scenic rivers act is that a river section has to have at least one outstandingly remarkable value is kind of the term of art. And they're going out and they're looking at like dinky Creek and they're saying, this doesn't have outstandingly remarkable value for recreation, which is like mind blowing, right? Like Grace, you've run Dinky Creek before, oh, yeah. right? Oh yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, how can you say that that's not outstandingly remarkable? Through the forest planning process, the Forest Service can say this is an eligible wild and scenic river. And then it kind of presents that menu of eligible rivers to Congress to designate. But in the meantime, that creates some some interim protections. So if something's a wild and scenic river or an eligible wild and scenic river, it's almost like this uh, this mechanism for AW or whoever to kind of fight ill-considered development projects or water development projects. Like for example, uh, I don't know if you guys saw that there had been a threat to dam uh, the North Fork of the Snoqualmie right above Ernie's. Have you run that one? I have. Another just like absolute kind of under the radar Pacific Northwest classic. But that was an eligible wild and scenic river. So when the dam builders are kind of pushing this project, one of the things that AW is able to do is kind of wave this, this label around and say, hey, the Forest Service has already found that it has this you know, really remarkable value. Like this should really be a wild and scenic river, not a lake. Gotcha. So before this, before 2012 and before this new forest planning process, whitewater boaters really had no say in, in the, in the uh, wild and scenic designation, did they? No, I wouldn't say that exactly, but I think that this just creates a bunch of new hooks for public participation. It's a process now that has a whole bunch of different, opportunities for for public input like another place that uh that outdoor alliance is working on forest planning is ninahale pisgah north carolina and 
working on potentially designating some new national recreation areas out of that process that would protect uh, mountain bike access particularly. Yeah. Yeah. I've been involved with a, with a few of those meetings and talked to some folks about that. It seems like, I mean, it seems like a really good thing for the recreational user. I mean, it seems, it seems like this is really the first time that the recreational user, specifically mountain bikers and kayakers have been able to sit down at the table with like, logging interests and other things that go on in national forest i mean is this is a forest plan typically a blank slate or do they have certain things they have to do as an institution or could anything occur is anything on the table in terms of quote-unquote forest planning the mandate for the forest service is multiple use which means Mm -hmm. yes that more or less everything is on the table unless there's some perspective you know some potential designation that would would restrict how an area is managed Mm-hmm. But I think typically the starting point would be the previous forest plan. So I think that that's one of the things that we have to kind of work to overcome is inertia in the forest service where what they are most inclined to do is just do some tinkering around the edges with the existing forest plan. But the big difference now is that instead of having one opportunity for public input, there's tons of opportunities through the whole plan development process, which is a little bit of a double-edged sword, I think, because we're starting to find that to really be effective in this process, you need to be just consistently involved over the course of, you know, probably two, three, four years. But to have that, I mean, I guess what we're trying to do is to look at these places where we have tons of people who care about these landscapes and kind of give everyone the information they need to be involved in forest planning in their own community and make sure that we're all kind of like standing up for outdoor recreation and conservation values in the development of these forest plans. So if somebody wants to get involved, where do they go? What do they do? What's their plan of action? I mean, we have a huge listener audience to this show. so <laughs> tens, tens of kayakers are listening, I know. <laughs> um, I'd say the first thing is to get on our mailing list, uh, outdooralliance.org. And when you're, when the forest plans in your neck of the woods come up, we'll, uh, we'll share those opportunities. I think just kind of checking in with the website for the, for the forest service, uh, for the national forest, national forest in your area. Like, you know, like we're, we care a lot about the Gifford Pinchot, especially out here. I know you guys care a lot about Nanahilla Pisgah. Um, Monongahela is our big. Monongahela is that uh, is Blackwater Monongahela? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure where where this what the timeline is for some of those other forests, but you know everything that's going to be coming up sometime in the next ten years. So Listen. I think we're working on trying to figure out how to do a better job of like sharing these opportunities and engaging people. I think it's a big priority of ours. Well, this is a little off topic, and we and we gotta we gotta move on to our celebrity guest on today's show. But it seems to me like there has been a much better relationship with land managers and recreational and non traditional recreational interests. And what I mean by that is hunters and fishermen and logging over the past ten years, really over the past six years, especially around here. Um, Pisgah, like you're talking about in some areas. What do you think the catalyst for that is? Is it just what? What is it? Different people, different positions. Is this coming from the top? Is this? Where's this coming from? 
I think it's coming from the top somewhat with the Forest Service. You know, unlike, you know, other public lands are, are managed by the Department of the Interior and the Forest Service is in the Department of Agriculture. And the reason for that is like the historic mandate for the national forests is to be a timber supply for the country. It's to protect watersheds for, or to protect water quantity and water quality and to create a sustainable supply of timber, which is like, I think a lot of people, I didn't know that for a long time, right? I mean, I think when I first heard that there was logging in national forests, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like you let people <laughs> clear cut public lands. Like that's insane, but that's actually why uh, the national forest exists in the first place. And so there's this long, long institutional history with the Forest Service of uh, basically just being like a timber management agency and working with the logging companies, and that was all they did. And I think in the 70s, their mandate got changed from timber production to multiple use. And I think more and more in the last 10 years, like you were saying, John, there's been a shift to understanding that what people expect from national forests is recreation opportunities and conservation values more than timber production or as much as timber production. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of institutional inertia against that idea, but I think it's things are starting to change. Well, those two can, can operate hand in hand pretty good. You know, I think there can sure. be some logging going on over there and people can still ride their bikes over here. And then when they're done, some really nice new trails can be put in and, for sure. And that's, you know, I think that that's what we're trying to do in the forest planning process is just make sure that when we decide where we're going to log, we're doing that in a way that's just taking account of recreational interests. It's not one over the other. It's just making sure that we're planning these things in a thoughtful way. Outdooralliance.org. Get on the email list. So much stuff is going on behind the scenes with Outdoor Alliance, with American Whitewater, with all of the agencies that you partner with. Outdooralliance.org, get on the email list. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for indulging me on that. Yeah, dude. Learn something every time, man. Move on to growing out. We need a po- <laughs> we need a poker tip poker tip at the start of every show. <laughs> when you're holding Jackson nines, not super. All right, moving on. So it's green race season, and my good buddy Rush Sturgis is coming out. He's Rush is, let me, let me say this, Rush has always been a uh, sort of a first acceptor with things, and he is a, he's a fan of the show. I had no idea, but he was one of the first people to uh, send me a message, and I guess he heard, and I don't even remember when this, I had to look back through the podcast, but I guess I called him out for not being able to get top 10 in the green race when he was coming out. Well, he heard, mm-hmm. and uh, he decided he wanted to be on the show, and so uh, let's see if we can patch... Mr. Rush Sturgis, 11th place at the green race. <laughs> <laughs> Who's 10th, by the way? Is this you? You, you being 10th? <laughs> if Rush is 11th, I'm definitely going to be 10th. <laughs> Let's see if we can get Rush in here. Good morning. What's happening? Hey. You guys got that? What's up there, you guys, bud? You guys hear me? All right. We yeah. got you. All right. Welcome to the show, Rush Sturgis professional rapper, kayaker, and film producer, and I'm not sure what else you'd like me to add to the accolades. How you doing, Rush? Doing good, man. Yeah, want to be rapper for sure, but, uh, you know, working on it. <laughs> well, that's what it takes. So, Rush, I was just talking to uh, John and Lewis that you're one of our loyal 
like 34 loyal listeners to the show. So, oh, cool. Huge, nice. Hell yeah, man. Huge thanks for that. And it's great to have you on the show. And I was telling them that I didn't even remember saying it, but somewhere through one of my ramblings, I was saying you wouldn't make top 10. And then you reached out to me saying, hey, I want to be on the show. I'm coming out to the green race this year. And here you are. So what's going on? When are you coming out? What's, 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 what's up in Russia's world? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm coming to war, dude. I'm, I'm coming for all y'all. um no man yeah yeah i listened to last week's uh podcast you know and uh i I just think it's cool man you know we were on the way to the river yesterday and and uh or at the takeout and some some portland paddlers who had listened and were like you know yeah it's like the sports center for for kayaking you know or something like that i I think that's kind of cool you know well maybe one day it will be right now we're just trying to get the technical glitches out yeah so rush i i know what you have put together here for the show, but, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's just get right into this little piece you put together about coming to the, to the green race and, and being on the hammer factor. All right, cool, man. We'll do it. We'll do it here for you. All right. What's up? It's Rush Sturgis, also known as Adrenaline Rush, the one and only whitewater rapper here on Hammer Factor. Fresh boy. John Grace says I can't make top 10 at Green Race But man, you living in a dream state But let's be honest, all you locals have a clear advantage Cause I don't train on Mankey Rivers, all my flows are classic I tried to be cool, but now it's too late Your course record's held by a Kiwi, right? Oh, that's cute, mate It's okay, man, I just came to observe The other day, Jason Hale's like, man, I need help with my skirt IR tight, but y'all beaters ain't on top of it Probably at the pudding, like, you mind if we follow ya? I'm stomping this, but never sell my soul like confluence And every other company we lost to the conglomerate On top of it, my vocab Straight staggering Long before Pat and I Stabbed a dagger and dagger We were some little Nappy paddlers Smashing it passionate And while we raging Cascades you straight Meandering Every day Take them to church Like the Vatican That's accurate Peace to EG And all my West Coast Savage cats Hammer factor rap Smash your wackness Into smithereens Cause while you update Statuses I'm on the river Living dreams And if the southeast Is so damn magic Why is everybody Moving out to white salmon Catch you with everybody's Hiding out from all the flooding Cause the elder over five We gon' find you In the Columbia I'm back at it Swifter than Green River Narrows Quick-witted rap spit sharp like Cherokee arrows Part werewolf, part pharaoh Ladies wanna get to know me But I got the heart of a scarecrow Nonetheless, my cardio way gnarlier Working on my training just to come out there and slaughter you It's child's play Like John Grace in Twins World I win world while all you kids be slipping like big girls I'm way too innovative and creative That's factual Basically Gorilla Sarah Soul Supernatural Good morning sunshine I illuminate like floodlights Still living under Cause rhyming just a fun time It's true I love to rap Man who knew I hope EJ don't kick me off the team for being too cool And while I'm steady gaining traction Y'all can hate up on the Jacksons But the fact is you just hating Cause they constantly be smashing you That's real talk Bring your flow to a standstill I kill the pain like Advil And always got mad skills That type of love that you can't get from a capsule And nothing but respect for my peeps from Asheville But as for you Grace I think you hit your expiration date You used to hit six rivers Now your weekend chilling hitting lakes Make no mistake I know the green a classic. I'll see you next week. Probably get my ass kicked. It's white water rap. Hammer factor back at you. Yes. <laughs> I, first of all, dude, that may be the best thing to ever come out of an adrenaline rush studio. So <laughs> big props, man. Thanks, man. I, uh, yeah, it's funny actually. I, I, just, uh, I just started writing it, man. And I was just gonna do like a real short one, and then it just kind of kept. kept coming. 
so I just kept, kept going with it. <laughs> so much to say. Oh, so much to say. Well, before before I let Weld and Lewis comment on uh, on the on 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 the little piece there, I gotta say, Rush, you're never one to uh, you know, you're not scared to stir the pot, bud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, hopefully, people see it for what it is, which is uh, you know, a satire in a, in a sense. But you know, always there's a a little bit of a truth. Rooted in all comedy, I suppose, right? <laughs> I think there's a lot of truth in there. <laughs> all right, well, all right, Lewis. What do you think? All right, first of all, let's let's. I think we should get a bet going between Grace and uh, Mr. Sturgis here. Something along the lines of maybe something happened in Brazil a few years ago. Oh no, we're not. Maybe not that, that up, extreme. <laughs> maybe not that extreme. Well, but, I mean, there was anyway, a bet we, that happened. And we should handicap. We should handicap Grace. We should give Grace a bit of a handicap. Yeah, let's start. Let's start with that. How many? All right, Rush. So head to head. You know, how many? How many seconds do I get per kid if we were going to place a bet on the race? <laughs> man, honestly, I, I I don't think that I'm going to be able to uh, to take you, man. That's your course, dude. I don't know it out there. You know, I'm coming in just. Uh, I'm I'm not a contender. I'm coming out there just to have fun, and you know. I'll be stoked on. I'd be stoked on tenth, but I'll be stoked just to race, you know. Yeah, you're not gonna get out of it that easy. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think if Grace beats you, you should maybe write a check back to to Jackson. <laughs> some a bit of a some kind of rebate of yeah, some sort. You're gonna have to give those guys a full <laughs> refund. <dude. laughs> oh man. Well, we'll I'm figure down, out down. the we'll we'll figure out the terms of the bet. It's not going to involve. A Brazilian, I'll tell you that. I don't want to get into you, that on the air. I mean, you guys don't want to tell the story? I don't want is to it, tell the I mean, There's a lot I'll of people you, out there. I'm sure his interest has been piqued. All I'll, all I'll do is you'll have to ask in person for that story, but I'll do, I will tell you that it wasn't too bad for Jason and I, but Rush, you had a little bit of an epic coming out of that one, didn't you? Yeah, we, we're going to have to tell it, dude. I mean, because I, I think that it's important that people know that, you know, I'm obviously this is kind of like a John Grace diss track, you know, but we've, we've been having this kind of back and forth banter for, for many years. So it's a it's a friendly deal. Um, but uh, and it all, all kind of started, I think, in Brazil. I was I was, I think, 20 years old at the time. And we had a heavy hitting crew down there. We had like Holcomb, Keller, you poked eaters like like a lot of people and uh you and jason hale and i had kind of had this like back and forth the whole time it was kind of like the young guns versus the old guys or whatever even though you guys were really not that old probably but um (laughs) anyway it was like this back and forth deal the whole trip just trying to outdo each other on all sorts of things and basically we were all like you know you guys kind of like you know talked me into doing this Brazilian, you know, basically getting a full body wax. And, you know, I, I wasn't about to back out of it because I didn't, I didn't want to be like, you know, I, I was scared, to be honest. You know? And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Like, we went in there and we went into this place and, and uh, you went first. And Hale and I remember we were like in the waiting room and like, I mean, literally like you were screaming like a little girl, like, just, <laughs> like, Dude, it was horrible. Oh, it was top, horrible. Dude. It was horrible. The only thing that made it okay was knowing that you guys were up next. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then Hale goes in and it's like the same same thing. I mean, even worse, man. And he was just like you know, I, I was like I was scared, man. I was scared. I went in there and uh and the the woman is just like shaking her head, dude, and she's like she's like you have three times as much hair as those guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, dude. 
I mean, I'm not even, I'm not exaggerating. At one point, she was like pulling so hard, she had to like, and, and she wasn't getting it, you know, like like one try, second try, she like wipes the sweat off her eyebrow and just like, oh god. But the worst part of the whole story is that like my idea was that I was gonna like impress my girlfriend at the time, you know, and. I, and Women probably know this a lot better than us guys, but like you have to like treat the uh, the wounds afterwards. You know, you gotta put like lotion on there or like do something. I didn't do anything. I just went like surfing, got all dirty, and so long story short, I'm like my entire under region was like savagely infected. Like I just had like these red freaking like pus dots like everywhere, dude. Like I can barely even sit down on the plane, man. It was the most uncomfortable thing. Maybe I've ever experienced. Didn't you? Right didn't, up there, top five. Didn't you get home and and your girlfriend was having to apply like bandages to you, <laughs> like treat your wounds? Dude, yeah, she's like she's like taking photos of it, dude, because it was so gnarly, man. <laughs> like, seriously. Uh, I think anyway. the moral is to keep Grace at arm's length. I think that's the takeaway from the story. Yeah, I think so. That's I learned my lesson on that one. So, but well, apparently I didn't because I'm just calling him out hardcore right now. So, yeah, getting graced manifests itself in many ways, and that's just one of them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, we'll figure out our bet. I'm I'm saying that seven seconds per kid. So you give me a twenty second handicap, and we'll call it good. All right, let's do a twenty second. That, that's a lot, though, man. I mean, we'll all right, do, okay. All right. So what happens? What happens to the loser? I say the loser has to dye their hair whatever color the winner wants and keep it that way for one month. Oh, that's cool, dude. I'm down with that for sure. You know, I mean, I used to do cash, and then nobody would ever pay me, so I figure it's way better to... I mean, although I'm, I'm going to Rafa's wedding right after that, and I'm in that wedding. That might be a little rough. Yeah, well, when, when would the dying occur? Like the night of the race? Yeah, basically we'll have you know, we'll have the awards party and we'll have five or six hundred people there. We'll do it up on stage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. That sounds that sounds fair enough. That sounds fair enough. <laughs> and you can do it after the wedding if you want. I'll give I'll give you that prop. You know, I don't want to. You know, <laughs> I mean, it could it could be a good story for the wedding. <laughs> yeah, it could be a good story for the wedding. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. I don't care. I'm, I don't really. I don't mind having my hair dyed something stupid. All right, twenty seconds. It is twenty seconds. <sighs> Grace on the green. It's like hubris to me, man. I don't know. Winter's going to be Grace by 20 seconds. <laughs> I know. I, really, I probably should have looked at times here, huh? Yeah. I would have done some research on that one before. Grace. I would have argued for like two seconds a kid. I, th- I think you just got graced again, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, like, I guess that's like one thing on the little white when it's like a 15 minute course. But yeah, I really yeah, wasn't thinking. This is like minutes. a two minute course. <laughs> What is four and, a, four and a half minutes? Is the fastest is like four fifteen or something? Four ten. Places places one through fifty are about a half a second apart. I think. Oh, <laughs> oh man! All it takes is catching an eddy, and twenty seconds happens really fast. Yeah. All right. Listen, I need rush. I need to call you out on something though about the rap. Oh yeah. So I actually listen. I listen. I listen ahead of time, and one thing stuck out. Okay. You imply Jackson is not a conglomerate. Now I'm gonna throw out some some names: Jackson trash cans, Dra- Jackson fishing kayaks, <laughs> Jackson coolers, Jackson road barriers. I think there's a Jackson Brazilian powdered milk division. <laughs> I think they're working on like a steel recycling unit. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay, well, well, I, I, that's a that's a fair that's a fair assessment. I mean, what I will say, man, is from the kayaking perspective, you know, 
Um, Jackson is, especially, you know, and, and I feel kind of bad for calling out Dagger the way I did because Dagger did so much good for me for so many years, and I really love a lot of people there, and, and uh, it, it's a great company in many respects. But the difference is it's just amazing to be able to call up Emily, call up EJ, you know, like have a personal relationship with a company where it is it is basically family owned, really, you know, especially the kayaking component. Um, there's not like that level of like bureaucracy that you kind of have with some of these other. And I mean, especially comparing it to a company like Confluence, you know, which is is is, is in my, you know, a much larger conglomerate, in, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's just I guess I feel like it's that personal relationship that I really enjoy with Jackson. And uh, it, it feels more like a, a, a family kind of, you know, run deal. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you a question because it brings up a good point. Is it possible to have a standalone whitewater boat company? I know, I know Eric certainly started out with that in mind. I mean, that was his, the drum he was beating for many years at the start of Jackson, but like all companies, Dagger, Wavesport, uh, Piranha, everybody, that sooner or later they have to get liquid logic, they have to get wrapped up to a larger company to keep moving. Is that is that a truth? Is Tuna, for instance, are they a sustainable company or are they going to fall the wayside of everyone else to try to just do it as a standalone brand? A whitewater I, brand. I'm honestly not sure. You know, I think that um I think that they kind of start off that way, you know, and then as a company grows it starts to it starts to sort of I guess see the dollar signs a little bit and see the potential, you know, to do other stuff. And it just kind of naturally grows that way. But yeah, it seems like, it seems like Waka is like doing pretty good, you know, and those guys are like sustaining. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily going to be like, uh, you know, they're going to be like these massive uh, companies just solely off of kayaking, but I think that they're sustaining for sure, you know? I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see, you know, it's always fun to see. Sit back. I don't and enjoy. The I mean, show. I don't. I mean, from from what I can gather, I don't think, I don't think it's well. At least selling under current business model, I don't know that you could do a standalone whitewater boat company. I don't know there's enough participation in in the sport to drive the R and D and the tooling and everything else necessary to make that work. But you're a standalone gear company, pretty much, right? Yeah, we're the we're one. Of the, I think we're the last one. The last one yeah. doing nothing but whitewater. I can't think of another brand doing that does nothing but whitewater. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we but we don't have tooling costs. You know what I mean? I don't, I'm not I'm not sure. looking at fifty thousand dollars in tooling costs every, every time I make a dry suit. I mean, sure, honestly, sure. it's 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 close, but it's not it's not quite that. Yeah. Well, congrats on that, man. Good on you for for staying the course. You guys have been at it for a long time. Forever. I think we started in the thirties, nineteen thirty-six. Is that right? Coming out of the last Great Depression. I'm trying yeah. To- <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, no, think, I mean, so, so, I mean, tuna. What's what's going? On? I mean, right now, tuna has one boat. I mean, that I've seen. I mean, I know they have some more in the pipeline. Uh, are they going to sell direct, or are they going to sell to retailers? I mean, how are they going to make that work? We'll have They've to get got e- like three, we'll three new e- boats right now. Yeah, we'll have to get EG on the show, and we'll have to get or Sam Sutton or somebody else to talk about that. But I will say that to be a standalone company, you're going to have to streamline streamline your distribution. I'm not sure that you can advance designs and do everything that you need to do and have a complete line and do it the way it's traditionally done without getting into too much detail there. That's just my two cents, but I'm not, I don't own a kayak company. So yeah, you're probably right. Um, speaking of kayak companies, 
Um, you know, cash and checks all the way to the bank rush from Jackson. You're a spro. <laughs> you're, you're, you're you're a pro kayaker. Let's get into that. What's it mean to be a pro kayaker nowadays? What's what's you know for someone who's on the outside looking in? What what's what's it all about? It means you get that money, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, this is like an inter- interesting topic, I think, because uh, I feel like there is, you know, it, it's it's a it's a tricky one to define. Lewis and I were actually talking about it yesterday, you know, and um, you know, yeah, what is actually a, a pro kayaker, you know, because because I look at it from from the perspective of like, there's a lot of like in my opinion, kind of like guys out there that are sort of like unsung heroes, you know, that are, you know, you've got like someone like, like Lewis, who's actually like a lawyer as well, but still gets on the river all the time. You know, Lane Jacobs, who's a nurse, gets on the river all the time. Well, maybe not, unless it's like super high water, he doesn't get on the river as much. But, um, you know, James Bird, uh, you know, these guys that are, are amazing kayakers, you know, and not necessarily like professional in the sense that they make a living off of paddling, but they have other professions that they do um, to enable them to kind of, you know, paddle all the time. So in that sense, you know, we're all kind of like expert kayakers. I guess the difference with me is that, you know, I have managed to make a living and sort of build all of this off of, off of kayaking, you know, but in addition to that, you know, I've sort of had to do other stuff along the way in terms of video and, and, uh, you know, production. So I think, when you look at the bigger picture, there's very few so-called professional kayakers out there making a living, you know, just off of kayaking alone. I mean, even someone like Dane Jackson, um, who is, you know, probably one of the few just kind of full-time kayakers in the world, um, you know, he's still out there making videos, taking photos, making content. You know, it, it, these days kind of means doing a lot more than just uh, than just that. And I think it's really important also to to do other stuff besides just paddle because it sort of um, I guess, you know, builds up something for the future. Cause like this wave, you know, you can't ride it forever. Exactly. Yeah. It seems like more so than other sports and kayaking, you kind of have to go to work for the company that's sponsoring you. It's not just a matter of kayaking. Like you look at Fuseli, for instance, I mean, he's, he's a full-time kayaker, but he's basically working for Piranha. He, you know I mean? Yeah. He's doing demo mm-hmm. days. He's going to sea kayaking events. He's going to retailers you know it's not it's not what you typically think of in terms of a sponsored extreme athlete you know yeah you know what's like interesting too is like i go we go to these um being on like the gopro team is really cool because we get to go to all these big athlete um convention type things where they bring all the gopro athletes from around the world and they'll bring like 120 of like the world's kind of top you know extreme athletes from all these different sports from skating snowboarding base whatever and they put you all together and you do like these workshops and the interesting thing about the kayakers is that the kayakers are like the one group in that entire spectrum that are really like <laughs> editing their own videos their own content, right. their own thing. Like, they're like they're darning like, their socks <laughs> yeah. so that's like such an opportunity you know and it's, it's just such a hard sport to to really like make it in you know it's not it's just not easy like you really really have to be I feel like either like, I mean, that's another thing too. Like you don't have to be the gnarliest, like most standout paddler anymore. Like you can just be an awesome content creator. You know, you can be a really great filmmaker. You can be a great writer or photographer or whatever. But like those are the avenues we have to all pursue in this sport, um, you know, because it's just like next to impossible to kind of make it as just a so-called pro. Yeah. And I think you, know, you, also, you have to add you also to paddle Jackson boat, I think. Exactly. 
Exactly. A paddle jack. I don't know if there's any other way to make a go of it. <laughs> there's no other boats that are as good. So I think it's like. <laughs> well, until, you know, and the thing is, I don't see that changing anytime in the future. I mean, there's no, <clears throat> there's no teams to sign a contract with. It's mm-hmm. not like, uh, you know, you, if you're a factory rider for, uh, you know, a, a Trek or a giant or something like that, you're, you're on a, on a, a team salary right there that you can make a living with. There's not two competitions a month where there's $20,000 in prize money, each competition that an athlete can focus on, um, to bring in revenue. There's just not this infrastructure there to create a true pro athlete. You know, it's, it's, well, cause uh, there's no, there's no kayaking lifestyle to sell. It's not like 25 million young Americans are looking to emulate the kayaking lifestyle. I mean, no, no but like hanging out rhododendron bushes in the pouring rain. That's just not <laughs> part of the American dream. <laughs> I I agree to some extent, but also I I think when you the the cool kind of thing about nowadays and or it's a negative too. You can look at it in two ways, but you know with social media being a part of it, you've kind of got this platform where you can actually prove your value to a sponsor. You know where you can say like, hey, my video with your logo got you know. 2 million views on it or whatever. And I mean, like that kind of talk, like that is like, you know, that's money for sure. And that, you know, if you can figure out how to monetize that, um, you can definitely make a real living off of it. You know, it's just, it's, uh, it's just a little more challenging than yeah. Other sports where there are competitions with cash prizes and things like that. But I personally am optimistic and I think that in that we are going to see a platform in kayaking where it gets easier for athletes to, to live as kind of professionals off this as the sport continues to grow and as it becomes more accessible to people. I think that's the biggest part, you know, more whitewater parks, um, you know, more accessibility. That's the main thing. Well, I'd certainly love to see it. I think it's, uh, you know, I've been doing some work with some guys in the mountain biking realm and it's just really interesting, the infrastructure that they have going on and it would be great you know, I'd love to see it if there if you didn't have a boat sponsor, if you bought all your own gear and you trained your tail off and you went to a series of competitions and at the end of the year you could have forty grand in the bank. You know what I well, mean? Well John Grace. John Grace, let me ask you a question, right? So, you know, at IR we get you know, we get a fair number of sponsored requests and you get you get the usual round of people who are just write a form letter to you, but then you get some people who are really they're really working it. You know what I mean? They're out, they're out there really putting the hours and they'll, they'll submit a video. That's a really great quality video. And, uh, you know, they've, they've already got 15,000 people who've seen it, you know? Um, and it's a potentially huge promotional tool for your, for your brand. Now you're in video production. How do you, I mean, how do you, what do you say to someone like me? Who's, who's, you're trying to sell them a video. And I could say, well, geez, I have three or four athletes who are actually on their own doing great work. And what's your response to that? Well, you've got to ex- – you, what you've got to do is you've got to you've – I got should to, point – I mean for people who don't know, you, you do – I mean your job is, is video production. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, well, it's video production but it's also – you know, we're, we've turned into a content marketing, like content strategies, you know. And, and what you've got to do is it's great to have one video or two videos but you've got to get your audience to know, like, and trust you. And if you can show that – that, that you can put an opinion out there, that you can show something performing and show it work and get people to actually sit in it and use it. And you can show that to a company who's interested in selling their product. Hmm. If they don't jump on that, 
then it's their bad business. You're you're giving them a good opportunity, you know. And and like you say, you gotta you gotta let them make that decision. That's not up to the athlete. But if you can make that connection, you can have your audience and show a connection to them, you know, to you exposing them to products or or in my business sometimes it could be a service. But um, if you can if you can show that that you know, for instance, in this conversation, whitewater that they grab that paddle or they grab that boat and uh, then that, that is a big opportunity for companies and there is value there. So you have to make that connection. You can't, the biggest thing that I see a lot of people do is connect. If let's say you're trying, you're, you know, you're, you know, 17 years old and you're trying to work your way up through the ranks. You've got to do something more than just say, I have a certain amount of views. You've got to show an established connection between those views and somebody taking action. And if you can do that, then it is a value. But if you're just talking about numbers, well, there's, you know, there's a lot of ways to get numbers. Does that resonate with you, Rush? Yeah, I was going to say engagement. That's like the key word these days. Um, and what a lot of companies are looking at is not necessarily views, but just like your interactions with people. Um, and that's also can all be um, sort of followed, you know, on with stats on social media and stuff, you know, are you like responding to people, connecting with them, um, especially in kayaking, because it is such a sort of smaller sport, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I always, I make an effort to get back to everybody that messages me if I can, you know, and that's uh, just something that takes a little time out of my day. But um, I think that's like pretty important for sure. And dude, being on this show, I mean, your stock's going up. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway hey it's interesting you're you're you you have you're doing a you know i mean that's one of the best raps i've ever heard you put together man i'm a, you know i'm a huge rush sturgis fan so just putting that together <laughs> hey, like, I, got a, I got a new album out now you know i don't know if you've cop cop that yet but it's uh it's out on itunes you know <laughs> <laughs> let's hear about that let's hear what it is what it, get, plug it plug it right now Oh, it's just, uh, it's my first full length album that I put together. So it's, uh, yeah, I've been working on it for a few years and, um, finally got it together to, uh, to put it out there to the world. So, um, man, it was a good learning experience for sure. I learned a lot uh, in that process and, uh, it's like putting together a movie, you know, it's like, it's kind of like you got some ebb and flow to it. Um, I've, you know, probably recorded over 30, probably 30 plus songs over the years, but this was my first time kind of consolidating my best like current material down to like a 12 track LP. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's been doing, doing pretty good and, and, uh, people, you know, been pretty supportive. So, um, it's been fun. What's it called and where do we get it? Yeah, uh, you can just, uh, search for it on iTunes. It's under my name, just Rush Sturgis. Um, it's called a life worth living. Um, and I got a couple of the songs that are in, um, chasing niagara and then a couple other videos as well for the love and some stuff like that so sick yeah well moving on um we're kind of are close to our time allotment for the day we're gonna do a uh we always end with a rants and raves here on the show and i'm gonna i haven't done a rant or a rave in a while so i'm gonna jump in i'm gonna do a rant and i don't know if you guys i think we lost weld i don't know where he went he's in west virginia man they're just figuring out the internet up there but a huge, are you up for doing a uh, doing a rave rush? rush? Oh, I I had a rant, but I could totally do a rave too. <laughs> well, you know what? We'll do two rants. I got to get this rant out because it was all over the place. So I was, so this weekend I went out and uh, 
and was I went trail running one day and then I went mountain biking the next day. And it was a beautiful fall day. There were a lot of people out on the trails, which is awesome. But people with cologne and perfume out on the trail, out in the woods, is the most out of place thing. It's worse than somebody out there with like a bunch of loud music or banging drums <laughs> or throwing litter on the side of the trail. It was like this, and it, and it works in like an indoor environment, but out there it was like, I don't know how to explain it. It was like a really invasive pollution. So toxic. yeah, it was toxic, man. I was, you know, I was just trying to be out in the outdoors and I've just got all of these just dirty smells just coming at me from all these different groups, guys and girls, you know, and it was yeah. just like, people need to check. They need to just wipe that stuff off before they go out in the woods. That's, that's it. I'm going to leave yeah. it. I'm, I'm going to leave it right there. <laughs> or, on the, or on the river, dude. I know, like, Benny Mart is always rocking perfume, dude. It's, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of which, I've actually got uh, Benny and Tyler here at the church at the moment. Um, we're about to go paddle, but my rant was going to be about uh, gypsies. Um, gypsies. Yeah. Couch surfers. Couch surfers. Get it together. <laughs> you know? I mean, really, like, it is... Uh, you know, I, honestly, it's pretty funny because I've got this, uh, <clears throat> they jokingly call my church here the Church of Open Arms, which is the River Roots headquarters, which it uh, is kind of sometimes. But um, I'm all about having guests. You know, I like to have guests and, and uh, it's it's nice. Um, and there's definitely like certain people who are more than welcome here always. But, uh, you know, the kayaker lifestyle, it's like, it's, it's, it's my rant is the people that, that rock around with like, it's like just absolutely no plan ever. You know, <laughs> the town, and they're like, you know, and they might even be like the type of person who's like, you know, like at the put in is like, doesn't know the river, doesn't have anyone to power with. And it's like, I got a lot of compassion for those people too. Like, I'm all about showing people around and, you know, helping them down, whatever. But, you know, you got to just, you got to rock in with a little bit, a little bit of a game plan, you know, and just like, just like show up and be like, hey, man, like, can I, uh, I stay here for like two months. <laughs> yeah, we we've termed that uh recently a jangler. A jangler, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I've done my share of jangling and gypsying, so it's like you know, it's yeah, I can't hate on it too hard, but um, you know, just 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 like just look into things a little bit, you know, before you kind of just show up and expect to stay. <laughs> well, amen. I don't know. I think that about wraps up Hammer Factor episode four. Huge props and thanks to Rush Sturgis for taking the time out of his busy day. Where are you going paddling? Uh, we're going to do upper trout into the wind, which should be pretty nice and juicy in there. What's a. We're. Uh, hang on a second. I think we're patching well back in. His West Virginia kind of took him for a little. Right. Are, are you there, Rush? Yeah. Oh, we lost Rush. Well, do you... There it goes. Was it me? That was, was you, dude. That was fully you. Lewis, are you, is Lewis even here? I'm here now. I accidentally clicked on Weld. Oh, there I am. I, I clicked on Weld. I thought I was adding him back in. And I just... Anyway. I apologize for the state. <laughs> anyways, I think that concludes our show. You missed the whole closing with Rush. It was... It was, I did. It was great having Rush on the show. But anyway, John, since you're back on internet service, do you have anything else you'd like to say? 
Uh, no. What did Rush say? I'll Rush, catch you later on that. Rush basically said it was awesome being on the show and he wants to come back and he is a huge Lewis Geltman fan and really mm. loves you. Mm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't know. Listen to the show. Listen to the show. All right. Let's wrap it. Complaining about their leaky IR dryware. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And his yeah, skirt used to pile on on that and, one. And his and his skirt that blows and his fleece that right. ripped. <laughs> no, actually, I ranted on. I, I did a rant on uh, people with perfume and cologne out in the woods, and he ranted on gypsy kayakers who just lurk and sleep on your couch forever with no apparent plan. Right. So. That's a good one. All right. Until next week when we oh we're not ending because we're gonna take a viewer call. Oh. We're gonna we're gonna jump into something here real quick. Okay. And this is because we love our viewers. Well, you need to get an athlete page together on Facebook. Me? Yeah, you. Um, that's going to be my rant is like 15 year old kids asking me to like their Facebook athlete page (laughs) (laughs) God, I'm glad at least of the co-host I'm a nice guy well I did have a comment come through saying that you need to be nicer me? Yeah. To who? Seriously? Yeah. Ignore that world. <laughs> nicer to who? I'm so nice. Man, you're not that nice. I have the, ex- I have the perfect temperament for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Winning temperament, John. <laughs> okay. Mr. Grace, however... <clears throat> Hey, I'm, I'm keeping it between the lines here. Come on, give me some, give me some credit. Um, all right, so this comes into us from Jeff, Jeff Joyce. This is totally off topic, but but we'll uh, we'll we'll give this three minutes. Um, Jeff says, as a desk jockey that is confined to a specific place for a set time from Monday to Friday, I'm always interested in new ways to bring adventure to the backyard. I've really been inspired by some of the massive dual sport link-ups that have been going on in the asphalt area. Big tours of drainages from source to sea. I'd love to hear more about creating an adventure in your backyard, planning these expeditions. And since you often have people from across the country in the podcast, I'd like to hear what other people are doing in similar vein across the U.S. Anything to inspire. So I'm going to throw this to Lewis. How How do you keep it spicy out there? I would, I'm far from being the king of this, but there are a couple of guys out here who really kill it on the multi-sport link-ups. Seth Swallen in particular, I'm thinking of, who we all kind of pioneered this concept together, but he really took off with it, and it's called uh, Summit to Stout. So what I do is go climb something and then paddle, you know, whatever we think is the best river in the drainage. So kind of the most classic one out here is there's a, uh, a multi-sport kind of ultra, ultra informal race here every summer that uh, starts at the top of Mount Adams. 
which is 12,000 feet snow all year round. So meet it 9 a.m. at the top of Mount Adams, which usually involves camping halfway up and finishing the climb in the morning. Ski Adams, mountain bike, it's probably four, maybe four miles of single track, and you hit logging roads, and then you can pop out at the top of the White Salmon and then paddle the entire White Salmon, like Farmlands Trust, middle, lower, 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 across the Columbia, all the way to Hood River. So you get climb, ski, you know, class five paddle all the way to the gorge. It's about six hours down from the summit. Just like such a, such a fun day. Have you Um, done that? I've done that. Um, I know Seth has uh, climbed Mount Hood, ridden the Timberline Trail down to the bottom of Salmon River Gorge, hiked up the top of Salmon River Gorge and run that. That's another kind of uh, classic run out here. I know you uh, you first did that huge falls on there, eh, Grace? No, someone else had ran that before. Oh, you're talking about on the Ohana Bakash? No, on Salmon River Gorge. That, I, think, uh, I first did like, Silver. No, somebody had ran that before me. Um, I was the second person to run it, but one other person had ran it. I can't remember who it was. Um, yeah, that job was gnarly, man. But still, super cool link up. Um, what else? I mean, there's just stuff like that all over the Northwest with the, you know, the glaciated peaks and the volcanoes that you can ski around out here. There's like a ton of opportunity to do really cool link ups like that. And it's just like the feeling at the end of the day after just crushing it for eight, 10, 12 hours, whatever. Oh, another really good one that Seth did was he climbed something in the uh, in the Clark's Fork of the Yellowstone drainage, and then put on by himself, ran sticks and stones, and then met up with some other guys and did the box. Oh wow! Yeah, that is a really good one. You know, for me, it's like you know, if you just getting you know. When you're in your kayak and you're down in the actual canyon, that's a really interesting perspective. But to have the same perspective in a day of being on the top of the peak or where that water actually starts, where the watershed, you know, actually kicks off is, I don't know. There's just something really cool about mastering that whole, you know, or, or playing on that whole uh, whole field per se. That that, I mean, it's not really a field, but you know that. Just feeling that from the uh, from the bottom to the top. Yeah, I mean, I would just say to the guy who wrote that letter, and it's like, just go with your imagination. You know, it's like if you can dream it up, you can do it. It's always always worth it. Yep. Look at your map. Get out there and tell people about it, so somebody else can do it later. All right, man. Well, we'll catch you next week, Lewis. And uh, I appreciate the time. We've lost well. Dude, it's West Virginia, man. What can you expect? I'm here. I'm here. Oh, are you there? I'm here. I'm we'll, listening. We'll chime in, buddy. What do you got to say? Oh, I don't I, It reminds me of stuff we used to do to prepare for expeditions where we would, you know, we're on the East Coast, so we don't have, you know, the, the 16,000 feet of vertical to descend in a day. But, um, <laughs> We'd be like, well, we're gonna pre- we're gonna we're gonna simulate an expedition type environment. We're gonna have to hike your boat over uh, over a long distance to get to the put in, you know. So we try and find like a, a, a section of the dry fork or something, or the, not dry fork, like a shaver's fork that would be, you know, otherwise really hard to get to and hike into it and paddle out. So 
I don't know. From a not self- sure if it's much of an insight. For me, from a selfish standpoint, I, you know, and this happens, I think this kind of just happens when you get older, but especially happens when you have kids, is that you realize how important your time is. And if you have a little bit of time, what you're going to do with it. So, for instance, when I make a trip to the green now, I'm like, okay, it's going to be four hours round trip. And if I go to the bottom, hang out with people in the parking lot, get in the cars, run shuttle, set shuttle, paddle the river, go in, unset shuttle, drive home. I've kayaked for an hour, but I've been three hours of driving around in the car. Yeah. And so what I'm, what I've just figured out is, all right, I'm gonna, I got this four hour window. What can I pack into it? So that's kind of been my uh, catalyst for, you know, just figuring out ways to like human power my shuttle or get in a run or get in a bike ride or something. Is that I'm just, I've got this period of time, and I'm like, all right what is the, how can I maximize it? Because as soon as I get home, it's game on, you know? So, you know, you got to make it work. You got to, you got to, you got to keep the train rolling however you can do it. Yeah. I think that's my favorite thing with the summit to stout ones is just to try to figure out a way to do it without getting in a car. Yeah. Like just set your whole day as much as you can to avoid driving. I think that really keeps, keeps it. Well, we just hit one hour, fellas. Episode four Man. in the books. Best podcast ever. We're huge. Very strong. We're bigger we're, than... We had, we had a rap. <laughs> if you've arrived, somebody's written a rap about our podcast. <laughs> that's, that's a high bar to set for the next one. It's going to be downhill from here, folks. Uh, it is. But, man, come on. That was pretty good. you got to give Rush big-time credit for that. That was pretty Absolutely. good. Absolutely. I, I was expecting sort of awkwardness, but it was really quite funny and good. <laughs> All right, guys.